to have her speak with us tonight. So, Lin Lee. All right, testing, testing. Can you hear me? So I'm just going to scan the crowd. It's a bit of a crowd. There's people up there. Who's that? can't see you. <laughs> it's the lights. So thank you so much for this privilege of sharing today. Um, and I'll be continuing on this theme of everyone, every day, everywhere. Um, and it's about working out our faith 24-7. Um, every day, everywhere, and I'm just a member of the everyone. So um, my talk today is going to be divided into three parts. So in the first part, I'm going to summarize the last five Sundays sharings briefly. And then in the second part, I will bring my part to the table and uh, share quite a few personal stories. And then in the third part, I will touch on the passage we just read, um, just a few personal take-home points, a few more personal stories, and then there'll be a time at the end where um, we can have some prayer and words of encouragement and God will minister to us. So, the first part, uh, so John Soper, he opened this series about six weeks ago, sharing on how we need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring that supernatural element to our daily lives, and we need to partner with the Holy Spirit. So we do the natural thing, the natural activity that we do, and we partner with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit then brings a supernatural power and brings our activity to a supernatural realm. So that was John's um, sharing, and it was based on Jesus' last words um, in Acts 1, where just before he's taken up to heaven, he, um, he says to wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon his disciples. So that was John's talk. And then in Jenny Button's talk, she shared on the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. So a story that Jesus shared to his listeners of a farmer scattering seed in a field and how the growth and fruitfulness of this seed of faith can be choked off by the enemy, the worries of wealth, and the anxieties of the world. So Jenny shared on how important it is to tend to our faith, how we need to make every effort to get rid of wrong thoughts, attitudes towards anxiety and wealth that get in the way of our growth. And she really emphasized the importance of keeping a consistent secret life with God behind closed doors and doing something that outlasts us um, to eternity. And then in the third talk, in Andy Flanagan's talk, he shared on the passage from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, that Jesus is the exact image of the supreme invisible God. All things were created by him and for him. All things are held together in him. He is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the supreme being. And with this awesome image of who Jesus is in mind, we are called to be Jesus's image bearers and we bear his image. So we bear the image of the living almighty God. So, and I love the picture that Andy shared of 
how his dad used to invite him when he was seven years old to wash the car with him and what that re represents, um, which is similar to our heavenly father asking and inviting little old us to be there with him and get to know him in the context of a shared task. And then last week in Nathan Johnson's talk, he shared from Colossians 1, 1 to 14, and um, he basically shared on what it looks like to know and understand what the good news of the gospel is. What is the good news? So God loved us. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness into his eternal heavenly kingdom where we have forgiveness of sins and redemption because of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. We have hope for this shared glorious inheritance, this eternal inheritance with Jesus. And this joy of sharing eternity with Jesus drives us, this good news drives us to live out each day in a way that honors God. And we are to ask for spiritual wisdom each day to live a life that honors God. And we are all redeemable, even the lowest type of criminal. We all need Jesus. And I think the, the main thing that Nathan was stressing was nothing you can do can make God love you more and nothing you have done can make God love you less. So that's a summary of the last five weeks. And this brings me to my second part, which is uh, my story. So let me share a bit about myself. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Lin Lee. I'm a medical doctor in gastroenterology. I work in the hospital as a consultant in Exeter Hospital. So I am from Malaysia, and I came over to the UK to do my university medical degree at Glasgow University. I graduated in 2006, and after nine years of training, with an additional three years of research for an MD research degree, I got my consultant job at the RDNE, and I've been working at it for the last four years. So I specialize in gastroenterology, which is a bit of a mouthful, and it deals with the digestive system, so the gullet, the stomach, the bowels, the liver, and etc. So I subspecialize in the liver, which in medical jargon is hepatology. So as for my Christian background, I was brought up in a Christian uh, family, and I decided to follow Jesus when I was age 11, and I got baptized in water age 12, as well as um, baptized in the Holy Spirit age 12. And growing up in church, Christianity was more of a religion to me, quite black and white, lots of rules, and it was not really a relationship with God. And it was only when I was 14 years old I attended this worship uh, concert event, and um, you can ask me details another time, but what happened was I suddenly came to this clear understanding of how much God loves me and the true cost of what he did on the cross for me, and God's love then became so real to me, then I became very hungry to know God, I started praying every day, I um, stopped fighting with my mom because being a teenage teenager I was a bit rebellious. And um, I, I started attending church prayer meetings. I joined the church uh, youth group. I then uh, also participated in the schools, 
Christian fellowship and started inviting friends to the youth group, Christian events, and gradually I grew in my relationship with God. So fast forward to 2006, um, when I started working as a doctor. By year four, I realized I was hearing a lot of negative talk about the hospital in general and the NHS. So it's one thing hearing negative things uh, from other people or from the news, but it's another thing being day in, day out, hearing your colleagues moan about it, your nurses moan about it, your patients moan about it, and yourself seeing the reality of it. So there, are, there were always problems in the NHS, and there still is. Um, I can name them for you, long waiting times in A&E, long waiting times for clinics, investigations, lack of beds, patient complaints, lack of staffing, lack of senior support, lack of funding, poor leaders, poor management, same old. So I just heard so much that year, it was four years in, and I just had enough, and I felt led to start this prayer meeting a lunchtime prayer meeting, and um, so I, I designed a little poster and put it up in the hospital chapel and booked a room and hoped that people would come. Um, I had another house officer who was in the same church as me, so there was two of us that could attend regularly-ish. And I think it's about, we only got maybe up to three to five people attending once in a while, and um, and we, even though, even though this, the numbers were small, it was quite a precious time of prayer for me because I was consciously asking those who came to um, just pray against all the negativity. So for every negative comment or complaint from colleagues and, or, or things we've heard, I wanted them to just... Um, pray something positive, something opposite to it, pray hope into it, pray something to counteract all that negativity and um, sort of pray blessing when people were cursing and just pray hope into a hopeless situation. So although I don't recall anything really changing that much in the hospital, but I probably wouldn't know because I'm pretty low down in the hierarchy, but I believe that God was moving behind the scenes and he was silencing all the people with the complaints. And I started to hear less complaints among my colleagues. And, and, or perhaps it was just the fact that I had this different mindset that I'd be, you know, every time somebody says something negative, I'd be countering it in my mind and in prayer with a request to God. So um, following that, the, the business of specialty training took over. Years were spent studying and training. Um, you know, uh, I had to learn endoscopy, and I had uh, specialty exams with the hospital rotations. I moved 11 times in 12 years. That in itself comes with a heavy toll. And twice I encountered bullying at work over a prolonged period. Each time it knocked my confidence badly, and it took me time to heal and recover. So God, um, at the end of this, at the end of my training, together with the daily challenges of being a doctor, it just took a toll on me. And towards that, 
that end, I actually grew quite bitter that I had chosen this path. The emotional costs had been too great. So God, however, was so faithful. He gradually helped me process it during my years of research, and he healed me of the emotional trauma. How God did this, um, firstly, I shared my struggles with a small group of people in my local church um, that I trusted, and I also had two spiritual mentors back in Malaysia who um, prayed with me, and so the, the local church family prayed with me, and we prayed many times, and they brought words of encouragement, words of insight, and each time it got a little bit better, and the the bitterness got a little bit better, but it was only after this powerful encounter I had with God at the end of this process that I got this, my full healing. Um, this encounter finally knocked it on the head, and I finally had peace with my experience, and confidence in myself was fully restored. So I'm going to tell you about this story. I actually didn't want to, but um, I, I think it, it I think after discussing with John, I think it would be good to share it. So um, you can bring up the slides. So I was, I was up in Newcastle. I, was, I decided to do a walk and, um, to, along Hadrian's Wall. And I wanted to head to this place called Sycamore Gap. I don't know if anyone knows, has anyone been? Yay. So uh, Lawrence has been. So. Um, so Sycamore Gap is this beautiful place in Northumberland where uh, it's also famous because there's a famous scene in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where this, the little boy climbs up uh, right at the start. So I drive up to this car park. I, there's only one path I can see, as you can see the Hadrian's Wall, and it's a little bit of an uphill and then downhill. You can see on the bottom picture, um, there's a bit of a uphill, downhill. And so I started on this path, and I saw the Roman ruins there on that bottom picture and marveled at it. And I met different people along that path and had little chats with them. And along the way, if you move to the next slide, I actually saw there was a different path right on the right side, quite far off. I, you know, I couldn't get across to that other path, but it looked straighter, but I couldn't get there, so I decided maybe I'll take that path back. So I kept walking, and uh, if you go to the next slide, I then saw that this is the sycamore tree where the gap is and with the Hadrian's Wall, and so yeah, I had to go downwards to that tree, and then if you go to the next slide, that's your sycamore gap. Um, I think you can Google it if you, if you can't see it properly with this thing blocking. Um, so, so it was a beautiful place. And then I started walking back on a different path, which was a straighter path. If you go to the next slide, you can see that's the straighter path back. And along the way, I couldn't see any of those Roman ruins at all, but I, I met different people again. They were a bit older because it's an easier path and had little chats with them as well. And at, when I reached the end of that walk, God spoke to me in my mind about my life and God was addressing my bitterness over choosing medicine as a career, over 
um, choosing music as a career many years back, I had felt this regret um, about all that had happened in my medical career. And I thought I should have chosen this easier path, this music path, um, which I felt would have been a lot easier. And God spoke to me to say that it didn't really matter which path I chose. Um, I would have ended up at the same destination. Just like this walk I had, um, by choosing that first path, the uneven uphill, downhill path, I had met different people and seen different things. I, would not, I had seen the Roman ruins, which I would not have seen on that second path. And I would have learned different things, and it would still have been beautiful. Um, so I felt this peace come in my heart finally, that I had not done the wrong thing in choosing this medical career path all those years ago. And with this peace came confidence that I, can, I could carry on down this path, that I could do this job. So um, this brings me to my third part of the talk, which is the feeding of the 5,000. So um, I like to call it the miracle of the five loaves and the two fishes as well, which fed the crowd of 5,000. So it is the only miracle that's documented in all four Gospels apart from the resurrection. So it's that important and that awe-inspiring. So just to recap, Jesus and his disciples have gone to this secluded place, this lonely and desolate place as it's described. Um, and if you read the account in Matthew, it actually follows on when Jesus had received really bad news that his cousin John the Baptist had been executed unfairly, unjustly. And some of his disciples used to be disciples of John the Baptist, so they would have been grieving, Jesus would have been grieving. So they all went away to this secluded place to be on their own. But the crowds had heard about Jesus and how he can heal people, so they found out where he went and went after him. And if you read the, the account in Matthew, Jesus had compassion on the crowd, and he put aside, you know, you know, his original intention must have been just to grieve together with his disciples, but he put it aside and started teaching the crowd and also healing them of their diseases. So it was coming towards the end of the day, it's evening time, they're in a lonely, desolate place, and Jesus then asks the disciples about food for the crowd, and, um, you know, typically the disciples, they, 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 they see the problem, so one of them, Philip says, you know, half a year's wages is not going to be enough to feed this many people, and then um, disciple Andrew says, this boy here has some tiny little bit of food, five barley loaves, barley loaves are flat, they're small, and if you read the passage in John, they keep emphasizing small barley loaves. So it's small and two small fish. Uh, barley is also food for the poor because it's not as delicious as wheat. Um, so, um, so, so, so uh, Andrew had, he's, he, he knows we've got this small amount of food, but that, again, he highlights that's not enough. So, um, I think the first point on this story is just to highlight Jesus' compassion for the crowd. You know, despite physical exhaustion, it's the end of the day, 
Um, you know, he's been grieving for his cousin, and he still heals the people and still wants to feed them. So he's really compassionate. Um, and now we reach this young lad who has these five barley loaves and two fishes. Um, and I chose this passage because I likened myself to that young boy um, because he only had a small amount of food, but he still offered it up to be shared to Jesus. And Jesus then did this great miracle in multiplying the food enough to feed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, and have leftover 12 basketfuls at the end for the disciples. So the first thing I wanted to encourage you is to not underestimate the small things you do for God, the small offerings you give to God, um, because God is able to use those small things, really insignificant things, and create a miracle and multiply it and feed multitudes. So I want to share with you two more stories about the small things that I've offered up to God. So when I was a registrar in Yorkshire, um, I saw this patient in clinic. She had um, been in the hospital for quite a few weeks, dangerously unwell with liver and kidney failure. And she fought hard, and um, I was with her, looking after her on the ward through those weeks. She, never, she nearly didn't make it, but she did survive and came out of hospital, and I saw her a few weeks after in clinic. So I checked her blood tests, and um, to my dismay, her kidney function had gone off again, become abnormal. And my heart sank because it all felt like she had gone back to square one because she had gone into hospital previously. It all started off like that. The kidneys had gone off and then she ended up in hospital dangerously and well. So I had to ring her and say, I'm so sorry, your kidney function's gone off. Um, can you please stop your water tablets, which was the only thing I could think of that could help. Um, but she was really worried and um, it was almost like bringing back all the trauma of the admission. So I felt led going home to just cry out for this patient. So I prayed for her in, my, in the privacy of my home, um, just secretly, just cried out to God saying, please just get those kidneys better so she doesn't need to end up in hospital again. And um, the next week, I brought her back and rechecked her blood tests. And lo and behold, the kidneys had normalized. So I could then have this privilege of sitting her down and giving her good news, saying, great news, your kidneys have normalized. And she was so relieved, she burst into tears there. And I was so happy for her because I knew how much trauma it had been in that hospital admission. So I could then say, I prayed for you. I prayed for your kidneys and it, God answered my prayer. And she was just too, too emotional. She just said, thank you. And so I was just so, so grateful that uh, I could give credit to God in that situation. So that's, that's, that's my first story. And then my next story is um, about praying for a nurse colleague of mine. She had come to me one day at work, um, and she said, I'm in a lot of pain. And she then shared that 
she's on really strong painkillers and she'd been in hospital uh, recently for many days having invasive investigations to find out what is causing this pain and no cause was found and she was sent home on strong painkillers. So I, I, she, she just said, I'm, guessing, I'm, I'm so desperate here, I don't know what to do. I'm in so much pain, I don't know how I'm gonna work today. So I, I did the usual stuff and said, have you contacted your GP? Why don't you ask him to increase your painkillers, get more painkillers on board? And she, she, she said, I don't want to have more painkillers. There's so many side effects. I just don't want more and more upping of painkillers. So I said, okay, fine. How about um, we could try and contact your hospital consultant, you know, get more investigations, what's going on? You know, this is not right. And she's, she again said, I, I know what this hospital consultant would do. He'll just admit me to hospital and I'll have to go through all these investigations again. I don't want that. So I was... I could see she's desperate. I didn't have anything more to offer. So I just said, I know it's going to be a bit strange, but do you think I could pray for you? And she looked at me a bit surprised and said, okay, why not? So I took her to this quiet room, and she was quite nervous. She, she said, what do I need to do? Do I need to put my hands out? Do I need to say something? Uh, do I need to close my eyes? So I said, no, no, you don't need to do any of that. You just stand there. I'll do all the praying. Keep your eyes open. So I, I then prayed a simple prayer. Um, I just said, you know, I prayed wholeness into her body. I asked for the pain to leave in Jesus' name. And I prayed peace for her and said, amen. And then I said, you know, let me know how it, how it goes uh, in, in the afternoon. So I went off for lunch, came back and saw her, and I asked her, how's it going? And uh, she, she, she said, the pain is almost gone. Um, I can't believe it worked. So I said, praise the Lord, it, that's amazing, and left it at that. And um, I then recently saw her and said, has the pain come back? And she gave me a big smile and said, no, it hasn't come back. I still can't believe it worked. Um, so <laughs> so I, I just said, praise the Lord, amazing. And she said, you know, uh, if I ever have any problems, I'll be coming to you. <laughs> so, um, so I said, really praise God for that. Um, so these are just some stories of my small offerings to God. They're in his incredible mercy and grace, he provided the healing. And in my eyes, these healings are small because it's not raising the dead. It's not big cancerous tumors falling off. But I believe that if I keep doing these small things one day, um, there's going to be a big miracle. But I just need to keep doing the small things, bringing my five loaves and two fishes like that young boy. So... I do want to say that I'm still work in progress, so as many of us are, I have many days where the busyness of work and life gets in the way. I might start the day with a quick, brief prayer saying, help me God, I'm on call, and have no time to even pause after that, and, and then it'll, I'll reach the end of the day, and it's um, when I can then say to God, uh, thank you, it's the end of the day, it's home time, nothing disastrous happened, and sorry I didn't think of you all day, uh, or pray, so, and that, that's me. So I used to feel bad about this, but 
um, you know, speaking with other people. They say, cut yourself some slack. And I'm learning, learning to ask God for more breather moments, like Jenny shared, you know, when she, she pulls the curtain around to examine the patient, that's the time she has that breather to pray. Uh, I don't always have that pulling the curtain around moments, um, but uh, I'll have to think of other ways of, of having breathers, usually toilet breaks when it, it's really bad. So coming back to the miracle of the 5,000, of the feeding of the 5,000, I just want to bring the focus back to Jesus. So Jesus did the impossible with that little offering of five loaves and two fishes, and he exceeded the disciples' expectations. And he displayed his power publicly to the crowd that they said, surely this is the prophet that, has, that is to come into the world. And the prophet here is referred to uh, in Deuteronomy 18 in Moses' farewell speech to the people that he said, the Lord will raise up a great prophet like me from among you. And it was widely accepted at, uh, during that time that this great prophet that was going to come was also going to be the Messiah and king to the common people. So um, today, this same Jesus, this great prophet, this great king, wants to partner with us to do miraculous things through what little we have. So I want to draw this to a close with these closing words. Uh, do not underestimate the small things you do. And keep bringing your five loaves and two fishes to God. Trust that God is able to deliver and there is no problem or obstacle too big for Jesus. And one day you will see that big miracle, that big amazing miracle that you're waiting for. So I was going to pray a bit and then um, there'll be time for ministry. And I think there are three specific groups of people that I feel the Lord wants to minister to today or speak or speak healing to. And um, the first group of people, if you've been bullied at work or had a really terrible time or just bullying in general, then, you know, the prayer team and I would love to pray for you so that you get healing and breakthrough and confidence restored, like how God restored confidence in me. And if you are the second group of people, if you are hungry for more of God in your life, in your workplace, in your family life, every aspect, you know, the everyone, every day, everywhere, then, and you want more faith to ask God for the impossible, then come up for prayer as well. And the third group of people, if you're not a Christian and you feel a stirring in your heart that you want to know more about Jesus and in a more personal way, then come up for prayer as well. This is your chance to do something that outlives you, something that will have repercussions into eternity. So um, I'm just going to pray, and then I'll hand over to Naomi. Let's just close our eyes. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your faithfulness. You are so precious to me. Thank you for being with me in my life's journey. 
and I see your hand upon my life with the stories that you've reminded me to share. Lord, I just ask that you help each of us to lift up our eyes today and fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, the great miracle worker and provider, the great and mighty healer and savior. He heals the brokenhearted and he will not snuff out a dying wick. Lord, I thank you for your great love for us, Jesus. Thank you that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything that we can ask or imagine. According to your great power, that same power works in us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, show us more of your glory and yourself as we draw close to you today. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.